Good morning and a very warm welcome to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, and I hope that this finds you well. Well today, folks, haven't done this in a long time, I've decided I'm going to dig into a psalm. And the psalm for today is Psalm 19. But before we get into it and before we discover what it's about, let us listen to it as Charlize reads the psalm to us now. We're reading Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So, Psalm 19 is a psalm written by David. And the first thing that he goes and tells us in verse 1 is that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Verse 2, day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. But that first line in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. When we stop up and consider this, the first thing that comes to my mind is Moses and his prayer in the book of Exodus where he's crying out to God, show me your glory. And also in that passage he's going and saying, that they were people of Israel were not going to move any further until they knew that the Lord's presence was with them. But he's crying out, show me your glory. And he asked God over and over again, show me your glory. And in fact, when the Lord turned up, he didn't go and show Moses his glory, but only showed his goodness, just his goodness. And so when we read this, It's fascinating that David, so many years later, goes and stops up and in answer almost to the very plea that Moses was going and giving centuries earlier, David gives the answer, Moses, the heavens declare the glory of God. It's almost like, what's up with you, man? Are you missing this? 
Can you not see right there in front of you? The heavens declare the glory of God. Now indeed, when you stop up and think about that, think about as it goes and says, night after night, they reveal knowledge. How many people over the centuries, be they people of faith or no faith, have studied the stars, have studied the makeup of the galaxies, have looked as far as they can with the naked eye, have looked as far as they can with the Hubble telescope out into space and now have even travelled out there. And yet all of it, all of it, is a revelation of the glory of God. It declares to us that God is glorious. Now, most of your people who are atheists and scientists, especially those who are looking at the foundation of the world, what, where was our beginning, our origin, will go and say, yes, indeed, it is glorious, this universe. But that does not necessarily go and equate that a God created it. Well, I would agree with the psalmist that when I look at all of this, it just speaks of the glory of God, the magnitude of God, the greatness of God, that only God could create this. That only a divine being could fashion all of this because it is marvelous in our eyes. It is wonderful. And so, as we consider the skies, as we consider the work of God's hands, as it says in verse 1, do we not hear that voice speaking from creation of the goodness and the glory and the majesty and the wonder of a creative God? Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where today we're looking at Psalm 19. And at the present moment, we are focused on the heavens and the wonders of God's creation and how the heavens pour forth speech, even without a word, declaring the glory of God. And now to remind us of the psalm, we will listen to the Sons of Korah's version of Psalm 19. In the next couple of verses, David goes and fixes his attention on the sun. And this is what he goes and says, the end of verse 4. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. Verse 5. It is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. Verse 6. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And so we're giving an overview of the function and the nature of the sun and how majestic the sun is. How when it comes out, it goes and illuminates the whole place. Just like when a bride sees her bridegroom there before her, she is thrilled and excited. The place is illuminated, her radiance is changed. Her face is aglow with excitement and so too the earth bursts into life in the presence of the sun as he comes out of its chamber. But not only that, the sun is like a champion rejoicing to run his course. And I like that because it's stating that there's almost like a fixed line for the sun to go on every day without fail. 
And that's what it goes and comes out with in verse 6. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. But here's the thing. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And David is expounding how great this sun is. But remember, he is saying that the sun speaks to the glory of God in everything that it does. And so just as the sun goes and impacts everyone and everything by the radiance of its warm glow, so too, as we feel the presence of the physical sun, we can know the presence of God. Because David makes a big distinction here. David goes and reminds us, the one who has placed the sun in the heavens is God, the Creator. Now, David, of course, was speaking into the other nations that were around about, many of whom went and worshipped the sun. And when we go and dig into Irish culture and Druidic past here with the Celts, well, there was plenty of sun worship went on there, as we know by our ancient and historic sites around this country. David's saying, no, don't be worshipping the created thing. Worship God, who is the one who created the created thing. And do you know, I hazard a guess, I believe that we haven't changed that much. Many of us nowadays end up, that's exactly what we do still today. We dismiss the idea of being a creator God and we worship the earth. Many want to go and preserve the earth. And it is good and right to look after our planet. But many of us think that, that we ought to worship, revere, uphold Mother Earth rather than recognizing that Mother Earth, so to speak, is actually a created globe just like the rest of us. And David is making that distinction that he is not someone who just worships the sun even though he knows what it does, even though he recognizes its majesty, even though he recognizes its power, he goes and says, no, it is only something that goes and brings glory to the creator, the one who made it, who is God. And so David has continued to expound his theme of the glory of God, the majesty of God, the awesomeness of God, the wonders of God's creation, and how that should lift our minds above the heavens and fix them. On he who is Jehovah Adonai, the Lord God, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. Is that what the reading of this psalm does for you? Does it lift you beyond this world, beyond the temporal, and fix your mind on the supernatural? Or does it go and creating you resentment maybe, anger, that this poetry of David, this song that he has written, this psalm of praise is just the words of some misguided person. What are your thoughts in that regard? As for me, it lifts me as I consider how great God is how majestic God is and how wonderful he is in the light of the words of this psalm thus far.
Midlands 103. Welcome back to Heartlands here on Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where we are looking at Psalm 19. And as we've looked at the first six verses of this psalm, how can one not be enthused and excited when we consider the heavens and the wonder of their creation and the message that they are speaking to us? How can we not be excited about who God is? In verse 7, the psalm now goes and takes a shift of focus. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are good, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. And so we have this declaration in these three verses, in 7, 8, and 9, in regard to God's law. But remember that this is inspired by David's study of the natural law. This is inspired by David going and looking at the way that the sun rotates. That there is morning and evening, a rising and a setting of the sun. And we use that same language today. It isn't that he's talking about a flat earth here or anything. He's just talking about, we talk about sunrise, sunset, and the course that the sun takes. We all speak about how the sun goes and rises in the east and goes round to the south and then sets in the west. And so David is talking about it being on its course that it's got a fixed route that it takes. That here it is, the laws of nature at work. And as he considers the laws of nature, as he considers the stars hung in space, as he considers the galaxies, as he views them at night, going on and on and on forever, reminds him of the glory of God, as it goes and says in that very first verse, the heaven Declare the glory of God. As he considers the natural law, it brings him into the spiritual law of God and the impact of God's law upon him. Impact on how it is that he ought to walk in the ways of the Lord because when he looks at what God's law does, it creates the following response in his life. It refreshes his soul. It makes wise the simple. It gives joy to the heart, giving light to his eyes. It endures forever. And all of these decrees are firm and righteous. And so galvanizes his faith. He's enthused and excited by who God is as he considers God's law. C.G. Finney went in speaking of God's laws, said that the spiritual law and the natural law work on the same principle. And when he talks about revivals of religion, he goes, just as a farmer goes and puts his faith in the natural law that is there, so too we can put our faith in the spiritual laws that God has given. Because both are given from God. 
Is that how you read it? But let me ask you a question. When you consider those statements, which means that you should be reading Scripture, reading God's Word, when you consider those statements, have you found them to be true? Have you found that as you studied the Bible, that it goes and refreshes your soul? Have you discovered that it makes wise as simple, that has given you a profound knowledge and understanding of how things work, both in the spiritual realm and even in the natural realm? Does it bring joy to your heart? Does it give a light to your eyes that suddenly it all makes sense? And yes, there's a brightness comes into it as you go and live out your life in accordance to God's word. And the thing about God's word is it's unchanging. It will never be removed. Oh, people can make a hash of translations and changing things, etc. And we have to be wise and careful to that. But God's word remains. And God's word will not return to him void, but accomplish what he desires. Do you know the understanding of that scripture? Do you know the reality of God's word in your life? And the impact that it can make upon your soul. Is your soul refreshed this day as you consider the word of God? Maybe you've no clue what I'm talking about. Well, I would hazard a guess that the reason that you don't know what I'm talking about is because you've never actually read the Bible. You've never dug into what it means. You might have ideas and opinions about it, but you've never read God's love letter to you. Folks, if you want to refresh your soul, just spend time in the Word of God and listen to His voice speaking to you. Through the wonders of creation all around you and through His written Word, there's a challenge I throw down to you. Midlands 103. Welcome back to Heartlands here in Midlands 103 with me, the Reverend Nigel Gill, where we are journeying through Psalm 19 and how can one not be excited when we consider the glory of God, consider the glory of God displayed in creation, consider the glory of God displayed to us in his word and through his law. And that is why Paul goes and says in Romans 3 and 23 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's glory is contained in his word in the law. God's glory is displayed to us in the heavens. God's glory is displayed to us in creation. Now we end up on the home straight, so to speak, with the last four verses. Speaking of God's law, God's statutes, God's precepts, God's commands, and the fear of the Lord, he then goes and says, They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So when David goes and considers God's word and the impact of God's word, 
the overwhelming sense that wells up within him is that these are so much more precious than gold. You cannot put money on this. These are so much more important than pure gold. And in a world that we live in that is fascinated by money and fascinated by trying to grab everything, possessions, belongings, and fill the holes in our heart with stuff, David is saying, look, hold on one moment. God's word is far greater than gold, much, much more beneficial to you than gold. And that's why he goes and he says here, Sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Just imagine, just think of the picture of that, the honey dripping from the honeycomb. Sweet, beautiful, delicious, refreshing to the soul. When Jonathan and Saul were fighting the battles against the Philistines, Jonathan, when he was running through the forest, it says that he went and dipped his spear in the wild honey that was there. And just the lick of the wild honey goes and says that it went and revitalized him, that his eyes lit up again, that he was refreshed. When you spend time in the word of God, that is the impact that it will make upon your soul. When you decide to read the Bible for yourself, it will make a difference. And that is why the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, to fellowship and to prayer, as it tells us in Acts 2.42. They ended up that they could not get enough of God's word. That is why when the Bereans went and listened to Paul, they didn't take what he said at face value. It says that they checked everything against the scriptures. They dug into the word of God and found what Paul was saying to be true. When you read God's word, do you find it to be true? Do you find that it brings life into the very core of your being, that it refreshes you, restores you, that it's sweeter than honey, and that you place more value on it than gold? I know in my personal experience that is the case. My wife laments to me regularly that the income that I am on, I'm on about one euro an hour, she claims, for the hours I work. But do you know the joy I receive from reading God's word and sharing God's word and understanding how it impacts my own life and seeing how it has impacted my life? It's worth far, far more than any money can give. David then goes and gives a slight turn here in verse 11. He goes, he says, in regard to God's word, it says, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so he sees that God's word keeps his life on the straight and narrow. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, it says in Proverbs. Do you know God's leading, guiding, and blessing to you through the reading of his word? That it directs your life? That it brings fulfillment to your life? That it brings joy to your soul? And then, 12, he goes and says, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Isn't it so true that we can end up, that we are so caught up in our own thinking that we don't recognize and realize our own faults? We believe we have things perfect. Our own pride gets in the way. And then when someone points out our faults to us, it hurts because we know they're telling the truth. David is saying, 
prayer at this point is, is beseeching God to reveal to him his hidden faults because he knows that he's blinded to his own errors. Tell me, are you someone who's blinded to your own errors? That you don't recognize your own hidden faults? The buzzword that is used nowadays is to be self-aware. Are you aware of yourself and what you bring to the table? Your faults, your strengths, your weaknesses? Or do you need the Lord to go and reveal to them? Well, then David goes and asks God to do something. Keep your servant also from willful sin. May they not rule over me. Willful sin means that this is sin that he knows he's stepping into. He's moved away from hidden fault. He's now come to a point that he's saying, Lord, I know this is sin. I know I'm going to commit this sin. And I'm asking you to stop me from making willful sin. Stop me from stepping into things that I want to step into. You know, all of us need to pray that prayer. Maybe we step into a habit that we ought not to do. Maybe we step into speaking words we ought not to speak. Maybe we step into doing things that we ought not to do. Maybe we end up that we willfully go about hurting our neighbor rather than loving them. Even if that is to ignore them in their point of need. Think about it. And he says as a result of these things, then he would be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Then he finishes the psalm with these words. Words that I've heard people stand up and speak before they go to preach. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. But what we do is we take it out of the context of the psalm. The psalm where David is going and looking, first of all, at the glory of God in the heavens. The glory of God through his word and the as a result of that, how it is that God can lead, direct and guide us in the way that we ought to go so that we live a life that is honouring and pleasing to him but also is good for our neighbour because he keeps us from transgressions, keeps us innocent and blameless of hurting others. And truly, when we contemplate that, is it not that David is saying, in light of who God is, in light of his glory, I want to be someone who loves my neighbor as myself. I want to be someone who loves you, Lord, with all my heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And so, as I reflect on who you are, as I think on who you are, as I meditate on these, may the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight that I will be someone who will live a righteous and upright life in the light of your great glory displayed through the heaven is that the prayer of your heart is that the words of your mouth is that the meditation of your heart and do you want to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God and beneficial to your neighbour. Let me leave those thoughts with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, show your grace, and turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, Amen.